Please be seated. This morning we are looking at Nehemiah for our last time together, and we're going to see how Nehemiah led the people of Israel in Jerusalem in worship. We're talking about worship this morning. Few topics create more discussion, are fertile soil for deep dialogue, often conflicting dialogue, than worship. I suspect that the primary reason for that is that we have a very strong connection between music and worship. And music is very personal. I like particular styles of music. You like particular styles of music. I have a history of music when it comes to worship. You have a history of music when it comes to worship. And we get comfortable, we get possessive, we become demanding when it comes to that issue. And if you don't agree with me, or I don't agree with you, there seems to be a tendency for us to kind of get ouchy with each other, which is unfortunate, but it's true. If we allow the Word of God from Genesis to the book of Revelation to impact us, we're going to understand that humans are put on this planet to bring glory to God. That is our purpose. We are here to worship the true and the living God. And what we must keep forcing ourselves to remember is that the kingdom of God, the people of God, are all over the planet, all over history. And people worship differently. And when we get to the place where, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with liking what we like, but when we get to the point where we think other people should like what we like, then we're in real trouble. Some of you have uh, somehow gotten the picture, thought that I was away for two weeks in the Philippines. I don't leave for the Philippines till this week. I was on vacation. I was doing nothing. Uh, so uh, sorry, but thanks for praying for me. Um, in the Philippines, I mean, they're up and they're dancing and they're doing all kinds of things that I'm really not all that comfortable with, but I love watching them do it. I can't imagine what heaven's going to be like where every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, where every knee will bow, where, where the, the primary activity of eternity in heaven, every time we get a glimpse of heaven, when God kind of pulls the curtain back and we just get a little peek into the throne room of heaven, it's always worship, always, every single time. But we're all, all these different people over all this time are going to be worshiping. 
And I certainly anticipate being in a place with people where they aren't critiquing, critiquing me and I'm not critiquing them. What we have in Nehemiah is an account, a historic record of an incredible worship experience. Bible teachers like to point out, uh, is this passage descriptive? Is it just telling us what happened? Or is it prescriptive? Is it telling us what we are supposed to do? Well, clearly, the chapters we're going to be looking at in Nehemiah 8, 9, and 10 are descriptive. They're telling us what happened. But we can learn lessons from that. The purpose of the Old Testament is for us to learn. To learn what God is like. To learn what God's people are like. To learn what God enjoys. And, and so we can, there are takeaways. And there are at least three takeaways from this worship experience that Nehemiah is largely responsible for. Not solely responsible for, but he was the governor. Uh, he was the primary power person uh, at the time. And he was part of it. So in chapter 8, where we're going to start, we have an incredible thing happening. Nehemiah was a layman. He was a public servant. He worked for the king of the world, humanly speaking. Powerful, influential, an incredibly competent man, but godly. And God had used him to do the miraculous task of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. Zerubbabel was there like a hundred years before, and he rebuilt the temple. Ezra was there about the same time. Ezra was a priest, and he's going to resurface in this chapter. And Ezra was to rebuild the people. Nehemiah's primary task was to rebuild the walls, and he did it in less than two months. But he hung around for years, two different terms, as the governor. So the bulk of his ministry wasn't the wall, it was the people. And what we see here are them being led into a worship experience. First of all, worship is to be word-based. It's to be based upon the word of God. Chapter 8 of Nehemiah, verse 1. All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the scribe, he's called the scribe here because of a particular function he's going to do, which is reading, but he was a priest, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. What was the book of the law? Probably it was the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. It was their testament. Remember, the, the Bible that Jesus used was what we call the Old Testament. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. Typically, in that culture, at that time, women had a secondary role. But when it came to this, women were there, and so were children. Anybody old enough to understand? 
He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. For five to six hours, there was this reading marathon of the Bible. He didn't do this all by himself. Verse 4 tells us that there were, there were a total of 14. When he was up there, there were seven on one side, six on the other. And, and we don't know who these guys were. Obviously, they could read publicly. We remember, there was no PA system here. Okay? So they had to project. And so Nehemiah got weary, and somebody would come up and start reading. And there were, there were 14 of them doing this reading, led by Ezra. I'm sorry, when Ezra read, he got tired. Wouldn't it be nice to be recorded in God's Word as somebody who read the Word? Even though we have no idea who they are, what a privilege. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book. It was a scroll. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. There was a special platform built for this. The people all stood up. So there is precedent for standing when we read God's word. As we praise the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Then there was a, a team of teachers, Levites, 13 of them, and they taught the people. They instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. When we read this, we think, are you kidding? These people stood for six hours, five to six hours, and had somebody read to them? I mean, there was no PowerPoint. There were no videos. There, I mean, and, and, and then people explained it to them? Part of this was that they were hearing the word in their native tongue. The first five books of the Bible were written in Hebrew, and they spoke Aramaic. So these people were able to translate it for them. I used to go to Ukraine on a regular basis. Went to Ukraine for many, many, many years. And they would have three to four hour services in Ukraine. Oh, good. I did not like that at all. Especially because I didn't understand most of what was going on. We'd have our interpreters around us and they'd be whispering in our ears every once in a while something, but it was like, I have no idea what's happening here. And we were sitting down in front of a fan. When people are truly hungry for the Word of God, talk to enough missionaries and you'll, you'll, you'll hear stories of people in other parts of the world who will go to great lengths. They will walk for days to hear the Bible taught. They will sacrifice. They will take time off of work. They, they will go hungry because they are hung, hungry for the Word. We live in a Bible-saturated culture. I would be surprised that if you had to, you could go home and probably find three to five copies of the Bible in your house. Maybe 15 to 20. 
Well, there are parts of the world even today where they don't have anything. These people did not have Bibles. They had not heard the Bible read. They were hungry for it. They were ready for it. And notice it says that they listened attentively. Back in verse 3, all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Worship is word-based. We have a tendency to try to add a whole lot of stuff to our corporate worship experiences. We cannot minimize the Word of God. One of the realities that, that I have wrestled with for 30, almost 40 years in ministry is that when we have a service, people want people want to make sure that their particular cause gets attention. Would you announce this? Why, why don't you emphasize this? This is important to me. Uh, our class is doing this. Would you please tell the church? And you got to understand something. That by and large, when you ask that, especially when you ask it on a Sunday morning, the answer is going to be no. Now, don't be offended by that. Just understand that these services are are planned out to the minute. The fact that I was five minutes late getting started screws up everything, messes up everything. It's not that what you're concerned about isn't important. It's that, that we believe at Berean that the Bible teaching is critical. And what happens is that when we have this announcement and that announcement and do this and do that and do that, that shrinks the available time for the teaching and preaching of the Word. And so we're rigorous in trying to control that. We don't always get it right. In fact, we probably rarely get it right. Uh, but we're trying. So understand, we're not being mean. We're not... We're not ignoring you. We, we don't, we're not saying what you want is unimportant. We're just saying that worship is based upon the word of God. It was true then, and it's true now. Secondly, worship is joy-generating. When we truly understand who God is, now notice what, what it says. Ezra, this is verse 6 of chapter 8. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. They drew attention to God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then after it was taught, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read, verse 9 says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, The day is sacred to the Lord your God, do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. I wonder why that was. 
We get, a, we get an explanation of that in the verses that follow. They were mourning. They were convicted. When the Word of God is taught and people truly understand it and people come to a time of interacting with God through His Word, this incredible gift we have that God has, has inscripturated, written down what He wants us to know, the result is it convicts us. And that's a healthy thing. That's a good thing. But there are times where we need to be reminded that, wait a minute, yes, there are sins to be repented of. There are lies that need to be humbly brought into submission to the Spirit of God, to the Word of God. But let's not forget that we need to be joy-filled. Verse 10 Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Uh, that's the only time the words sweet drinks are used in the Hebrew. So we don't know what they were. Mountain Dew, fruit punch, I don't know. But it was something special. okay? And send some to those who have nothing prepared. Think about the people around you that don't have what you have. Brian's known for that. This day is sacred to the Lord. Now here's what he says. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You've heard that verse before. You've sung that. You didn't know where it was. Well, here it is. The joy of the Lord is your strength. When we genuinely worship, ultimately our focus is on God. And when we get a clearer picture of who God is, that produces joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Now listen. When you worship, when I worship, whether it's at home, in my car, in my office, on the beach where I was last week, or here corporately together, our response to that incredible reality of who God is, how God has pursued us, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus produces joy. Now, how you respond to that is up to you. It's based upon your tradition. It's based upon your personality. It's based upon all kinds of things. Notice that in verse 5, we are told that they stood. In verse 6, we're told that they raised their hands. They responded, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. There was all kinds of activity going on. Be very, very careful. Be very, very careful of evaluating how someone else worships. Dangerous, dangerous territory. In the church I served for 30 years, there was a guy, I loved him dearly. His name was Dave. When I started thinking about him, talking about him, I started to cry. I loved Dave. We'd take Kentucky Fried Chicken and sit on his porch and we'd eat it together. Dave was in a, a work-related accident. He was, he was in a truck and hit by a train. And, and Dave's body was just in constant agony. 
And any effort to relieve his pain had consequences that he didn't like, and so he, he, he by and large, lived with constant severe pain. He loved being at church. He sat close to the back. I can envision where he sat. I'd talk to him every Sunday, give him a hug. If you had watched Dave in a worship service, this is what you would have seen. He sat there. He never stood up. He never moved. His facial expression was one of... Because he was in pain the whole time. He didn't sing. He didn't move. But I knew Dave, and I knew he loved being there. He loved the Lord, and he loved to be able to hear and be part of worshiping God. Do not critique how other people worship. There are some people that stand and raise their hands and, and shout amen and all that kind of stuff. Not many ameners here, but that's all right, I guess. Okay. But uh, we're in no position to, we don't know anybody's heart. There are times where I want to stand up and nobody else is. There are times where I want to sit down and everybody else is standing. I, I wish I was more mature and had the courage to just to kind of go with the flow, but, but it, sit if you want to sit. Stand if you want to stand. We have, we have an example of somebody judging somebody else's worship when David brought back the ark and his wife looked at him and really criticized him and, and God acted severely and decisively in her life. She was rendered childless. The worst thing that could happen to a woman at that time in, in the culture that she was in because she criticized somebody else's worship. Let people worship. And let them do it as God directs them. But there should be joy. And then lastly, worship is obedience producing. In chapter 8, they start to, to see all the things that were going on, what was wrong. Verse 14, they found written in the wall which the Lord had commanded them Moses. And, and they were told to do things. Once they understood the clear teaching of God's word, they realized we are supposed to change our behavior. The purpose of worship is not to give you a buzz. It is not to entertain you. It is to bring you and me into the presence of holy God and as a result we walk away saying, woe is me for I am a sinner and I live among sinners and I need Jesus and I know that everybody around me needs Jesus because I've had a glimpse of him. In chapter 9, verse 3, they confess. There's this beautiful, beautiful prayer of confession. Incredible in, verse, in chapter 10, they have this official agreement. It's like a covenant. And we're going to stop doing this, and we're going to start doing it. And everybody signed it. Obedience. Come asking the Holy Spirit to teach, convict, 
comfort and lead you. Some of us come here this morning and we desperately need comfort. There's something going on in our life that's confusing and overwhelming, and we need to know that God cares about us, and he does. We need to know that the people who have gathered together care about us. That's part of the wonderful thing of corporate worship. There, there are, we need conviction. Oh, we need conviction. We need leading. After our week plus at the beach, we came back to where my house is. I, I find it difficult in this nomadic, itinerant life that I have as an interim pastor. People ask me, where's home? And, and I actually end up saying home is right where I am. But I do have a house. If you're asking me where my house is, my house is in Pennsylvania. Well, I'm back for a couple of days and trying to do all the yard work that I haven't done for months. And so we had uh, seven yards of mulch delivered and uh, put on the driveway. And uh, I'm going to show you a picture of that mulch, okay? And that's the, that's the last two yards. And next year, next time, I will only, only order five yards of mulch. Uh, but, uh, but this has been out, this is, the, this is the end of the second day. And you'll see those, that, those tracks around there, okay, those things. What, what that is... It's on the first day that I'm out there doing this thing. My granddaughters come out, six and five. And they want to help. So I give them a shovel. That's, that's a waste of time. I give them a broom. This is too hard. And, and so on the first day, they left. The second day, the six-year-old comes out and says, I want to help, Grandma. I want to help, Papa. I want to help. I want to, be, I want to be here. I want to be part of this. So... She takes a garden rake, okay, and, and that's what she did. Now, let, let's see that again, okay? She just starts raking the, the mulch around, okay? Now, she, she's doing this, and, and I'm, you know, trying to shovel this up and get, get rid of it, and it's right here, okay. She wanted to help Papa. She wanted to be with me. She wanted to be about what I was about. Now, do you think that I looked at that and said, come on, what's the matter with you? You're making it harder for me. You're messing all this up. You know I didn't think that. I thought, this is great. This is endearing. This is wonderful. I hope, I hope she's always wanting to help Papa and to be part of what Papa is doing. Now, she actually made it harder for me. But that's okay. Now, get this. Here's Mike Wells. Okay? And way up there somewhere is God. And I'm trying to be like, by the grace of God and with the indwelling Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus Christ, to become more like Jesus. If I understand the heart of a six-year-old who does not have the physical strength or the emotional or mental maturity to understand, but she wants to be part of what's going on, 
She wants to be with Papa. She wants to help. If I understand and find that overwhelmingly rewarding and fulfilling, think about what God does when you and I try to worship him. And we don't get it right. We mess it up. But I believe God is just delighted when we say we love our Papa. We want to help. So, so when it comes to worship, let's please stop worrying about getting the sound just right. Not that we don't want the sound just right. Let's, 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 not, let's stop worrying about technical difficulties. We don't like technical difficulties. But, but, but let's, let's understand that, that we're worshiping God. And God understands our hearts. And he is blessed. And he embraces, embraces our efforts, even when, from his perspective, we're just spreading it around and not getting it right, and we're not being very helpful. But I, get, I, I just believe that God's heart is bigger and better than mine. And if I think that way, wow, wonder what God thinks. Worship is word-based. Worship produces joy. And worship produces obedience. Let's think about that when we think about worship. And the worship team is going to come up and they're going to lead us into the presence of God. Let's worship together.